Welcome to Vision Pros, the show all about spatial computing, Vision OS, and getting work done on the Apple Vision Pro. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. This episode is sponsored by Glisten. Learn a language by listening. Learn more at www.glisten.ist. We're actually building uh, a little set of utilities uh, is probably the best way of describing them. And uh, we think, or we frame them as what we call ambient information uh, visualization. So we're not going to do a big app that's going to be a car game or you know a word processor or anything like that. We want to create these little objects that sit in these people's spatial computing experiences and give them insight into a particular thing that they might be interested in. So there's these little tiny things that run alongside your other windows and things like that. Welcome back to another episode of Vision Pros. And what may be the last episode before Apple does their formal pre-launch unveiling of Apple Vision Pro. My guest today is Oliver, the Director of Design and Innovation at Contextual. Contextual is a user experience company that is exploring and creating the future of user experiences and interaction design with the focus currently on spatial computing. They've been exploring spatial computing for the past four plus years and prior did tons of work in iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. Oliver, of all the guests I've had on so far, has had the most experience in other headsets, including the HoloLens and the Magic Leap 1 and 2. And we discussed those headsets along with the Apple Vision Pro and all the possibilities that we're about to experience when Vision OS and the Apple Vision Pro launches in the next few weeks here. If you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is go out and download and try Glisten. Glisten is the Good Listen podcast app for language learners. It's all you need to immerse yourself in a language on the path to becoming fluent. I'll be sharing more about Glisten later on in this episode, but for now, download Glisten, which just launched for iPad and is coming soon to the Apple Vision Pro. As a reminder, you can get early access to both Vision Pros and iPad Pros by subscribing in Apple Podcasts to either show that now has a heavily discounted yearly rate for those that want to lock in that year or by supporting the Patreon at visionpros.fm slash Patreon. With that, here's my interview with Oliver. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Oliver. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be here. Yeah, uh, it's exciting to have you on. And um, you reached out to me after uh, one of the recent episodes I did with uh, Clarko, I believe. Um, yeah, I've listened to them all. It's been it's been really great to have them as a way of understanding who else is exploring this space and and what sort of things they're investigating and and trialing. So, it's, thank you very much for for doing all of these interviews. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always fun at the very beginning as things are so very new and we're trying out all these different ideas and concepts of what, what could be and the possibilities of this new platform we're about to get our hands on here. That's the exciting time before everything's really locked down, right? Like where yeah. there's still the opportunity to sort of really invent or explore or, yeah. Yeah, right. Like uh, for iPhone parlance, that's when uh, Tweety invented uh, pull down the refresh. Like. Exactly. A developer could invent some like custom hand gesture that Apple adopts and becomes just how we do things. And yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. So prior to getting into spatial computing, what kind of work did you do in user experience? So my background is originally in psychology and in human computer interaction, and as that as a basis for the last sort of twenty four years, I've been working and consulting in user experience. So specifically, uh, research with end users with people uh, who are going to use a digital service, understanding their needs and behaviors, and of course, uh, designing those and and doing the strategy around different digital platforms, different interfaces, etc. And one of the ones that I really focused on in the early thousands uh, was mobile UX. And so, you know, did a lot of work, even, you know, early days of, of Nokia, um, the wireless application protocol, uh, Palm Pilots. I know ATP are talking about Palm Pilots again uh, at the moment and stuff. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. And uh, when the iPhone launched, obviously, in 2007, that was a, a momentous occasion, especially for interaction design, right, and for user experience, because suddenly it drew a lot of attention to what was the the importance of the user experience and uh, how to get that right and to think through this new opportunity of direct manipulation, right, of being able to touch an app and at launch. And 
And also prioritizing the customer experience in that the customer could decide what apps they wanted where. The phone was just an app. It wasn't sort of this functionality that that um, sort of took over the phone. And, and I think that approach was very, you know, customer friendly. Uh, and, and actually, we'll see, we see some of that in, in the Vision Pro today as well. Yeah, the whole concept of the screen just transforming into whatever you want to be, having custom keyboards and just it's, you know, the world's your oyster as far as designing what the screen contains is exciting. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we'll get to it, but Vision OS is almost the polar opposite in a good way in that it shows you nothing until you want something. Yes. So um, augmented reality, virtual reality, what's your background here? Yeah, so, you know, we really saw my, my, my experience with computing, I suppose, goes back to the Apple IIe and the Apple IIc, you know, prior to the Mac even, and really seeing that transition from command line uh, to obviously the Mac and the graphical user interface and that different interaction type and then obviously the internet as well, really changing how we interacted with computing uh, and then mobile and we were sort of looking at what is the next era beyond the mobile computing era. And there are a couple of things that really struck me about spatial computing that, that fascinated me. And it really that critical aspect that, that we talk about is how can we enhance the real world with digital information and experiences? Um, so we're sort of really laser focused on that, not even on mobile AR and and definitely not on full immersive VR. You know, they have their roles. We're not saying that, that, that they're we just that's not our focus. So we really want to focus on adding utility and functionality to people's digital experiences in their everyday sort of I want to go in and get stuff done type of approach. Yeah. And the cool thing about Vision OS to me is it seems like you can run just unlimited apps all at the same time and if you have something that's non-obtrusive that's like an ar app that kind of is additive you could be running some productivity apps alongside this unobtrusive like in the mac parlance you have all these menu bar apps you might have all these just little just additive delightful just ar apps on top of your other things you're you're working on yeah and that's what we are excited about is the the people creating and defining their own spatial computing experiences you know we, we we're limited at the moment by these rectangles that sit in front of us whether that's a, an iphone or a you know xdr display or an ipad or a mac laptop that that have to by their nature contain things in a certain space and obviously spatial computing gives us this opportunity to put things in in places that maybe make more sense to us or that we can group spatially, uh, you know, maybe a particular set of, you know, a, an email I'm working on plus a, a numbers document and um, my calendar will sit in one particular area of my view so I can focus on those. And then I'm going and focusing on a collaborative experience that I'm having with my colleagues on a freeform board and, and things like that. So arranging these things around us in, a, in places that make sense to us, I think is incredibly powerful and having them interact in a way that's different to you know windows on a on a on a computer screen that are contained by that you know both the dimensionality the dimensionality of 3D um, and depth as well you know being able to put things behind things and so on so i think all of that's going to be fascinating i do wonder if there's going to be a way to hide an app like on on mac you can command h and I have to hide it on yeah. On iPad, you have different stages, and it seems like you just have one big stage, and if you want to get rid of something, you're more or less closing it. Um, yes, and, and while the visibility of something sort of can fade into the background a bit more, you know, if there are other things in front of it, obviously... That, that sort of can demote it visually, but yeah, but yeah I think there. that's interesting. Also command tab as well, right? As an right. interaction of, of switching between apps um, or bringing them to the front. You know, I think, I think there's things that might be additive later on in Vision OS. And I think we're starting with the basics and I think that's the perfect place to start. Let's start simple and, and easy. But there's a lot of opportunity to add these types of interactions as the platform develops. Yeah, command tab's an interesting thing because in Vision OS, you just look at it and that's what brings attention to it. So I'm going to be very curious when I get my hands on 
uh, Apple Vision Pro, is there a command tab and what would that do exactly? Um, it might just bring the focus to it without you needing to look at it. I don't even know. Yeah, and to me, it's more like almost maybe your space is a better analogy where I'm working in a particular set of windows and, and, and I have them all arranged and then I command tab to a different space that that comes in front of me and is the layout that I want of those different screens or it'd, documents. It'd or, be interesting yeah. if there would be gestures to like move your world into a different space. Like, I hope yeah, yeah. that is you're swimming or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all develops. Uh, so prior to um, working in spatial computing, what have been some of your favorite experiences you've designed for, you know, Apple Watch, iPhone, and, and iPad? Yeah, certainly. Because we've been in there from the very start of a lot of those Apple platforms, um, we've had the opportunity to work with, you know, some of the telcos and the airlines and so on here in Australia and the banks. So, you know, we've probably researched and designed over 100 mobile apps and, and websites, including, you know, one of the first iPhone banking uh, apps in Australia and, and as I said, for the telcos and airlines. And we did the first iPad app for Australia's national broadcaster and for Fox Sports here in Australia. And we worked with Salesforce on an AR iPad app and, and a bunch of Apple Watch apps for everything from people with epilepsy to exploring the opportunities around the detection of the onset of a post-traumatic stress disorder episode for army veterans are wearable as well. Very cool. So in the spatial computing world and the AR VR world, what headsets have you had personal experience with? Because me personally, I've only really used PlayStation VR 1 and 2. And then at a very old PAX East, I had like the first Oculus experience on the demo and that was awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I, from my understanding, you've tried pretty much everything out there. Yeah, and I, I think that's the joy of having your own company. You get to decide where the budget goes, and um, and uh, and because I've got it, I've, I've for for that because of my background in in psychology and human computer, computer interaction. I've long had an interest in the the more academic side of things. And that's where a lot of the research around, you know, head-mounted augmented reality, so these these headsets that we talk about, has really taken place over the last bunch of years, right? Um, but because of that, they're, they're doing a lot of research with these types of devices as well. And I really like that approach of getting a device and playing with it. So we, we've got a HoloLens, uh, and one of my first experiences with the HoloLens was with Mark Pesci, the co-author of uh, VRML, he's a friend. But that really sort of triggered this, okay, we can put digital content in the real world, overlaid in the real world, and we can also interact with it through a multimodal interface, right, with voice and with gesture and there's a different visual, etc. But we've also had the opportunity, we've got the Oculus Quest 2 and 3 and the Pro, and while the 3 has an all-right mixed reality experience, I... I think it's important for us as as UX researchers and designers to understand these design patterns that the Oculus is using, that HoloLens is using, uh, and so on, so that we can we can see what works and what doesn't. And I sort of the analogy for me is, you know, back in the day we used to have Windows Phone and BlackBerry and Android and iOS, and they were all trying different things, and that led to a better overall user experience, right? Over time, right. WebOS, for example, was well. I loved WebOS. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a great. Uh, and so devices like Snap Spectacles, so they're developer edition only, but they're a lot of fun. Um, and then headsets like the Magic Leap 1 and the 2, I think, you know, those headsets are our favorite, uh, very powerful, uh, really that optical see-through approach to uh, spatial computing augmented reality that we really see as quite power- um, useful and interesting. Uh, and they really did a lot of thinking around the UX and the richness of the UX, especially on Magic Leap 1, because it sort of had this, uh, it was pushing for a consumer experience as well as an enterprise experience back then, whereas now it's much more um, sort of clinical on, on focused on the on the enterprise experience. And of course, Apple Vision Pro. Um, and you guys have been in a couple labs, which is a very exciting. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have one, but <laughs> they are very hard to come by here. Mm. Yes. Um, magic leap in being able to optically see the world around you. Mm-hmm. What's what's that experience like? Like you have a, a screen there that you're able to like glance up at, or are you able to overlay stuff with the entire world? Or yeah. So I 
I think that's we sort of keep coming back to the Magic Leap One experience as as really well thought through user experience design for spatial computing in that you could take an object and let's for example just it's a clock right so it's super easy to understand everybody knows what a clock is you could create a, a clock and this digital object was something that you could grab you could magnetically it would do the plane detection so it knew there was a wall that was there and you could stick it to the wall and slide it up and down and move it around and then you could either leave it there and and so on or you could actually lock it there and so that what that meant was that that object would be there it would stay there you could turn the headset off you could go away you could come back and it would still be there yeah and i think that's really powerful for a spatial computing experience and also the fact that it didn't have additional ui attached to it so it just felt like an object or looks like an object in the real world and you know that is different from what we're seeing with uh, Vision OS, where everything has a close button and a grab handle, or or the vast majority of things do. There are some exceptions to that, but but I, I think they really thought through that digital object in the physical world type of experience, and I, I think Apple will get there. But it's it's really impressive to see the thinking that that went into these types of experiences years ago to, to create these really lovely and engaging UX um, yeah, designs. Yeah. One thing I think that that will be popular in vision OS are like photo frames that you put on the wall of your desk. And I think that would work and you can just leave them there and come back to them. Yes. So, so, and this is where I think there's a lot of nuance, uh, especially when something lives in your, in your world all the time, like a photo frame, you know, you, you potentially want it there all the day on your work desk or a clock on the wall, right? Is that if you act, if you hit your collect button on your, uh, Apple vision pro, all the windows will come in front of you, right? I don't want my clock to, yeah, I don't want my clock to pop off the wall at that point or my photo, you know. So there's things like that. There's, there's things like I don't want a grab handle and a close button on that photo frame sitting there all the time. Uh, you know, it's these little nuances that I think over, you know, the course of the evolution of Vision OS, we're, we're not even at 1.0, right? Um, we, we'll see those types of things happen. But to see that that thinking had gone before, and I think that those opportunities will arise again in the future. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I'll be curious when we get our hands on Vision OS, uh, how many times a day I do need to reset the world. I know in PSVR 2, I do it uh, somewhat frequently when I'm in like the movie theater mode, but not that much when I'm actually in a VR game. Um, so we'll see what what's needed there. Yeah, and, and I think you know, certainly over the last however many years it's been, the Apple OSs have got better at retaining state, right? Like, so, you know, you, you restart your Mac now and everything pops back up seconds later where exactly where it was. Uh, my constant frustration at the moment is I've got my, uh, my display in front of me, my studio display, and then I've got two iPads next to it that I use for continuity. But, um, but, what happens is every now and then they'll get out of sync and they'll go to the other side of the display. And it's like really frustrating because I've got to, and, and, and I'm like, Oh, I hope that doesn't happen in vision OS where I'm spending half my life rearranging the screens back to, to where they were. So, so with magic leap one and two, what, for those that have not worn these or seen them, can you describe the actual hardware by like, like with the Apple vision pro, it's like a big pair of ski goggles. That's why I describe it. You have a screen over your entire face is that not the case here? Yeah, that's right. So the way that we think about it when we're looking at all of these headsets is we divide them into sort of two main categories. The first one is uh, what the, what we call optical see-through. So that's where it's essentially a pair of glasses so you can see through the glass and the digital content is overlaid. And usually there's a, a small square of content or a small square of screen that sits uh, over the middle of that. And then the opposite to that, or the alternative to that, is the video uh, pass-through video that that takes camera view of the world and then plays that through the screens. So what that means for the Magic Leap is that the headsets are more glasses-like in that you can see through them without turning them on, etc. But that they're a bit more 
closed in, I suppose. So you have a smaller field of view. So the area of content that you can um, put digital content, oh, the area of screen that you can put digital content on uh, tends to be a lot smaller. So the Magic Leap 1 was what we call 50 degrees field of view. The Magic Leap 2 uh, was 70 degrees field of view, whereas the Apple Vision Pro, I think, is 110 or something degrees field of view. So that content area is a lot smaller. Um and it's also a bit more washed out, right? Because you, because you're trying to create light overlaid on the real world, and you need to have really strong light, right? And the headset itself, um, both the Magic Leap One and the Magic Leap Two, are cabled as well, like the like the Apple Vision Pro. But instead of having the battery on the end of the cable, they've got the compute and the battery on the end of the cable. So it's a larger. It's sort of like a a small, like a bread plate type size, almost. Um, and quite thick and, and on the, they ha- actually had, um, a arm chip in the Magic Leap 1 that ran quite cool. And on the Magic Leap 2, they moved to, uh, an X86 processor. So it gets quite hot quite quickly. Um, but you have to find somewhere to put it, right? And the other thing with Magic Leap 1 and Magic Leap 2 is they both have a hand controller as well. So you can imagine you're trying to put these goggles on, then trying to find a place for the puck to you know clip onto your pocket or onto your belt and then at the same time you've got a hand controller um you know i think the avp approach of of slip the battery into your pocket and put the headset on you know is is a lot easier not having to to worry about controllers especially yeah i was always wondering why the processor and stuff wasn't in that battery pack and we could just upgrade that that pack every couple years to get a faster apple vision pro it's a very interesting question yes yeah but uh, I'm sure Apple has their reasons. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah, but um, with all these headsets, have have you tried any of these outdoors? It seems like that would be a challenging environment to work in, especially Australia with nice bright sun. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here at the moment. Um, it, and no, we haven't. Uh, okay. We we've walked around within buildings, but not outside. Uh, the exception to that is probably the Snap Spectacles. Um, but as yeah, the, the biggest issue is that the amount of light coming in from the surrounding environment, you need to really power an image to make it bright enough to see in those types of environments outside. Yeah, and I imagine you just burn through battery even faster. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, the phone when you have that cranked up the max, it just yeah, you can tell it's just like burning through the battery. Exactly. Um, so, what was your very first headset experience, and was it like an aha moment from the first moment, or did it take you a while to to grasp what this potential could be? Yeah, it, it was the Hololens was the first sort of mixed reality augmented reality headset experience, and that was really powerful. A because of the AR aspect, because there were digital content, but also that multimodal aspect, um, and that really resonated me with me. I think. One of the things that we haven't fully taken advantage of with user experience design, and this is even with mobile, is the is the full power of context and uh, and those different what we call modalities, interaction types. You know, being voice or gestures or uh, sound. You know, both inputs and outputs. So the Hololens was good in that you could use your hand to gesture. Um, things and also you could interact via voice you could talk to Cortana embedded in HoloLens and and that was really powerful uh, and then that Magic Leap 1 experience was really powerful more from a AR and and just dialing everything up the resolution's much better the brightness is better the the care around the graphics and the, the animations in the onboarding experience are phenomenal you know very Apple-like uh, in that, so that's where it sort of really, really went. Wow! I went, wow. Okay, this this is the future. Yeah, the pitch for Hololens always seemed interesting. You know, you have uh, an HVAC technician repairing something, and it overlays what's going on, and it seemed very enterprisey as far as like uh, versus you know it, you have these custom overlays versus this more general computing platform that Apple is like. You have all these apps, and you know. There is some augmented reality, but Apple Vision Pro's approach seems to be, you know, uh, more app app based versus these, you know, more niche markets. Yeah, look, I, I, the those headsets like the the Hololens um, and and even the Magic Leap Two, 
you would tend to buy as an enterprise or you know to for for a vertical application right like you would expect that the the individual using them would be in that app for the vast majority of the, the time that was using it whereas i think apple have taken that real spatial computing approach to hey we want you to be in this a lot more of the time in your general computing experience uh and not necessarily having to be in a in uh, in an app uh all the time and i think one of the greatest things that apple is doing is is providing this real transition experience for people so Again, going from, okay, well, I've currently got uh, a Mac and I use a bunch of apps on that and I'm very familiar with that and I might have an iPad, but I get what an iPad app looks like and now I can put that up in my spatial computing experience and and they know that they haven't got a bunch of AR experiences and full immersive experiences that they can go straight to out of the gate, right? So it's this real opportunity to transition customers from going, buy this thing, you can use it from day one with the stuff that you know and love, and by the way, there's all these additional aspects uh, that that over time will build up, right? Like, and and people will understand better. And while I think there's a lot, obviously, a lot of experience in the VR space of creating fully immersive experiences, and and a lot in the 2D screen space. I think the most interesting for us is in that that middle ground, that volumetric uh, experience that is shared with the other windows. Because when you're in a fully immersive experience, you can't have it as a shared experience with other apps and windows. They all close down or disappear. Uh, But that volumetric one where I can have 3D objects and 3D interactions, uh, but alongside the other things that I'm doing, I think is the most exciting. And I think that's the area that will show the most growth once people get these in their hands and and can see the power of those types of experiences. Yeah. In, in your mind, Apple Vision Pro has the potential to succeed where others have failed from hardware perspective. Like you're not going to get, you're able to read text and not be fatigued by that experience. Like is the hardware the standout or is it the operating system, a combination of both, I guess? Yeah, it's a, it's a good Apple product, right? So it's right. <laughs> the, the the opportunity is in both the software and the hardware and getting those things right. I think, you know, we're already starting to see the other headset makers sort of, um, I mean, I'm sure they've got had plans for, for many years, but it, it, it they're already looking at aspects of what Apple is doing and tuning it to that. So the one of the best things, as I said, was that Apple takes you into your reality. It doesn't put things in front of you by default yeah. um, when you first enter the experience. And I think that's really powerful. The quality of the visual, uh, you know, is widely reported as very high quality. The, the quality of the screens that people are looking at. You can get a higher quality headset with something like a Vario, right? But the price is even more expensive, you know, double the cost. Plus, you have to have it tethered to a PC, great for vertical you know if you want to render a ferrari or something and look at it in detail but this is a nice middle ground of combining super high-end visuals uh, a device that's comfortable to wear you know it doesn't have controllers they've taken a really good approach to that and again as i said you can use day one because you probably use a bunch of these apps and and things already so apple's picked you know a sweet spot uh, on on a whole range of uh, those aspects that I think you know will will create an amazing V one experience. It's not going to be an everyday consumer experience. You know, we're I think we're uh, uh, years away from that, but it's a it's a very strong starting position. Uh, and I think it, using these types of platforms, you really have to experience it and interact with it. Uh, as good as a simulator is, it's just not the same, right? And it's, I keep using the analogy, you know, back to the mobile of trying to design a, a good mobile app on a desktop screen, right? Like you don't have the ability to, for that direct manipulation. You just don't get that you can carry this thing around in the world and pull it out of your pocket and, and things like that. And it's very similar to AVP, like some of the nuances in the interaction design are going to take not some getting used to because they're very natural, but they're very different to to how we interact with computing today that will open up a whole new range of opportunities. This episode of Vision Pros is sponsored by Glisten. Glisten is a different kind of podcast app. It helps immerse you in a language you are learning. Glisten stands for good listen. 
It is the only podcast player app designed specifically for language learners, and it's coming soon to the Apple Vision Pro. Listen to compelling foreign language podcasts on your way to language fluency. Glisten makes it possible utilizing repetitive listening workouts, which are like a trip to the gym for your ears. Using the latest AI technology, Glisten determines where sentences start and end, then repeats each sentence as many times as you need to grasp it. You can also read along with the transcript that Glisten generates automatically, learning new words and deciphering difficult passages. The key to stepping beyond introductory language apps is to start listening to native speakers. Glisten immerses you in a foreign language, taking your listening comprehension to the next level. With Glisten, you can learn English, Spanish, French, German, Italian, Portuguese, Dutch, Japanese, Chinese, and Korean, with more languages coming very soon. When I was learning Japanese a few years back, I made it a point to open up a Japanese iTunes store account and purchase many big blockbusters that I knew inside and out with Japanese audio. I also listened to the official Monster Hunter podcast from Japan. This is an app I really wish existed back then. This podcast app transforms the hundreds upon hundreds of hours of podcasts into a tool to help you learn a new language. The app does a great job at helping you discover podcasts in the language you are working on learning, and even as a special search and directory of language learning podcasts. This is one of those apps that I think will truly shine on the Apple Vision Pro. One category of apps tons of press have been talking about have been the meditation apps, and Glisten, I think, will shine in the same way that you can have a very focused experience where you can really pay attention to the podcast, follow the transcript, and maybe have another window open with a dictionary. Glisten provides tons of different audio workouts aimed at either speaking or listening. Examples include the do-over, which repeats each sentence once, the kitchen sink, which repeats often with pauses. For speaking workouts, there are things included such as read my lips, which repeats each sentence twice, and then gives time to repeat it yourself. Or you can try the slow shadowing, which plays slowly twice when you try to speak with the audio shadowing on the third time. There are many more audio exercises included, and I can't wait to try these out in Vision OS when that version launches. To get started before Apple Vision Pro arrives, head on to the App Store and download Glisten for iPhone, Apple Watch, and iPad. It is free to download and get started with, and if you want even more from the app, give Glisten Pro a try to unlock the full feature set. My thanks to Glisten for sponsoring this episode of Vision Pros. So what has your team been working on uh, for Vision OS so far? That you compare. Yeah, so we, we're kind of different in that we don't, you know, because we're a user experience consultancy, we don't have development capability, right? Like that's not, we, we work with third-party developers, we work with our clients, developers, etc. But we don't have that capability in-house. But we do want to understand the full process of taking an idea from looking at the customer needs and behaviors uh, you know, sketching that out, understanding what the relevant aspects, what what does AVP add to their experience? Um, how's it going to contribute to their their everyday lives? And we do want to see the different paths and the different strengths and weaknesses of those different approaches, right? Of, well, I can design a 2D experience. That's really not our thing um, for AVP. Uh, you can design a shared uh, volumetric experience. Uh, as I said, that's really interesting for us. Uh, but we also want to see what that experience would be like in an immersive experience. And, and one of the reasons for that is that with the immersive experience, you can leverage AR kit, whereas in the shared experiences, you can't. And to us, that's a, that's, that's kind of infor- unfortunate, right? Because we can't do things like plane detection in a shared space. Uh, but we want to understand what those capabilities are in a, sh- in a, in a fully immersive space. So we're actually building, uh, a little set of utilities uh, is probably the best way of describing them. And uh, we think, well, we frame them as what we call ambient information uh, visualization. So we're not going to do a big app that's going to be a car game or, you know, a word processor or anything like that. We want to create these little objects that sit in these people's spatial computing experiences and give them insight into a particular thing that they might be interested in. So there's these little tiny things that run alongside your other windows and things like that. In fact, I've, um, I've uh, bought the domain desk accessories, as in in excess, as, a, as opposed to the original Mac 
uh, early system desk accessories like the calculator and, and, and things like that because we think there are, the, are these bunch of little objects that can just live around your world, right? And it gives us the opportunity to create these little things in both of these experiences. And in fact, so the volumetric in the shared space, uh, we're working with another iOS developer, uh, Jan, who's great in ARKit. So he's looking at the fully immersive view of that um, just to try those things out. And then we've also had a Unity prototype developer that we work with for the stuff with, that we do with Magic Leap. He's actually created the same experience in the Magic Leap 2 using the windowing so we can use the gestures and the gaze, not quite as high fidelity as, uh, as obviously the AVP, but we can simulate that experience in a Magic Leap. And then uh, we've taken that path of using the Unity plugin to explore how to pull that into. So our aim as a UX consultancy is, A, we can talk to our clients and say we have experience in exploring these three paths, but also to other UX designers, we want to explain to them how to design for these different experiences and what the strengths and weaknesses of each of those paths are. Gotcha. So Unity has been a pretty important tool for actually testing this stuff in Magic Leap and then porting it over to Apple's frameworks. Is that right? Exactly. So, you know, we've known for a while, well, we've expected for a while that something would be happening in this space. So we did a whole bunch of exploration, um, talking to designers and devs about what they might want from this future device before Apple had even announced. Uh, We did a whole bunch of prototypes of, uh, experiences of what uh, most of them were an optical see-through so a smart glasses type apple experience might be uh, obviously that hasn't eventuated uh, so we've now tuned that but the the magic leap 2 is a good headset to to sort of play with that because we don't have our hands on that <laughs> on an avp and we're in australia so we probably won't get you know through the retail here um, for a while yet yeah um are you guys trying going to look at importing one for an astronomical price on ebay or something uh i have the uh, the luxury of having uh two brothers-in-law in los angeles so i might uh might see if they can send me something we'll see how that goes. oh very nice yes <laughs> so the term spatial computing was new to me in june when apple introduced vision os but this is something you've been talking about for years at this point is apple's vision of spatial computing the same as you guys were conceptualizing this before Apple shared their vision of what spatial computing uh, could be? Yeah, I, I think the whole aspect of spatial computing is, re- is really fascinating. It sort of goes back to the mid-90s, 1995, I think it was, Sam, Simon uh, Greenwald uh, sort of coined the term. And it was really about how can computing understand the environment. And that real direction was around how can computing understand the objects and the environment so that my work and play can be uh, enhanced. We can be a better partner with the computer because it can understand what's around me and the context of use. And that really evolved. And, and, you know, uh, there's there's a great book called The Infinite Retina by Cronin and Scoble um, uh, that really goes into spatial computing and AR in great great detail. But I, I think it's this unique combination of having multimodal interaction design so that's a core thing but also understanding the physical environment and i think apple have really executed that well with the avp they've really ticked all the boxes i think there's there's detail as i said like not supporting ar kit in a volumetric space i think you know um, that's an opportunity for improvement i think you know playing with these volumes in the spatial like locking them or not having grab handles again are opportunities for the future but they've it is like if you look at all the headsets now, it's probably the, well, it is the ultimate spatial computing headset. Yeah. So limitations of API, you mentioned um, AR kits, a big one. I guess just yeah. using the camera itself seems like such a big potential limiting thing as far as let me identify stuff in the room and like yeah. work with it. Yeah, and I totally understand the privacy and security uh, approach to that. And to me, it feels like a version one thing. Like they they want to lock it down as much as possible. But in the future, I think there might be opportunities where they'll open up certain things because they'll understand the use case and you can't cater to every use case straight out of the box, right? Like, uh, 
it's that sort of thing where it's better to err on the safe side than than to go out um, with everything open. Uh, you know, as as people who run a lot of usability testing, one of the things that we want to make sure we can see is obviously when people are using the headset that we can see their experience, how they're interacting um, from their perspective. Uh, so that's critical for, for us, for example. Yeah, yeah. The, the privacy angle of uh, the example, the killer use of this, you know, we're at a party and you can, you know, who everybody is just with a little uh, avatar above their head or something. Uh, but privacy, privacy uh, would forbid that from ever functioning. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of our sort of little concepts that we explored were around things like that. Right. And it's, it's fun to play with because, you know, a lot of the work that we've had the opportunity to do are around wearable devices. So, you know, tracking sports players and getting live player data, or we, we worked with a company doing uh, yoga pants that were, were hooked up to sensors to detect, you know, whether you're in the right position and things like that. And a lot of these projects have the opportunity to explore that future state um, to see where the boundaries are, right? Because we can't run into this, especially as UX designers, uh, run into this trying to do everything from the start because there's so much nuance to, to this that we have to be careful about these things and really take our time. And, and there's the group, the XR Guild, um, run by Avi Barziv and others, who I think are doing a great job of sort of highlighting, um, you know, those particular aspects. Uh, and also accessibility aspects are critical as well, right? Uh, because they're, they're, they're fundamentally important to a new platform. And especially on the accessibility side, I think Apple's, you know, really done a great job of, of baking it in from the start so that it's not just an add-on. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity for for a whole range of people to engage with this platform in a way that they just simply couldn't uh, with different platforms potentially. Yeah. My dream like 20 years from now when it is just a little tiny glasses you can throw on is uh, my grocery store. I can put these on and instead of spending an hour trying to find whatever spice, they can walk me through, here's my grocery list. Let me walk through the store as efficiently as possible and point out where that tiny spice jar might be on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's kind of the exciting thing, right? Like I think if people sit down, they can think of a bunch of different opportunities that this this type of device will open up for them. And that's why you know, we're very excited about V1, but we're also looking to a future state of 5, 10, 15 years or whatever that is uh, because the opportunities around that are, are even greater, right? And yeah, it, it's fun just exploring them and understanding people's needs and behaviors and how to extrapolate those and address those needs and behaviors in a different way with this platform. Yeah. I'll be so curious about the hardware ramp up with generation to generation. Mm -hmm. Apple Watch rapidly improved year to year. It went from this slow, cruddy thing to fast with GPS. Then we had cellular on the watch. Then it always, then this redesign with ECG and then uh, always on display. And it seemed like every year was just a revolutionary upgrade. Uh, iPhone early years were drastic improvements as well. I like, most of the Apple platforms early on were pretty pretty fast faced. Do you do you think that it'll be slower for Apple Vision Pro? Is the technology just so much harder to improve on this quickly? There's a there's a guy in the uh, in in the industry called Carl Gutag, and I think it was he him that, that phrased that he said you can't buy physics. And basically, what he was saying is no matter how much money Meta or Apple have because of the nature of physics uh, and, you know, light and, and things like that, there's, there's only certain things you can actually do. Uh, so I think that's an interesting frame of reference. But I, I, I try to look at it and go, is the AVP similar to the iPhone? And, you know, that's different because people had phones um, that they used daily before the iPhone came. It just changed the nature of interaction and, and so on. So I, I don't think it's as similar to that. Um, could you compare a, a Bondi Blue iMac uh, and the size and you know depth of that compared to an iMac today, right? Where it's and maybe that's a better analogy. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I actually think it's kind of interesting. Um, and while I'm not a huge fan of the meta business model, 
uh, I do have a great appreciation for what they're doing at both ends of the spectrum. So, you know, they've got the, the Meta Quest Pro, which obviously isn't as high end as the Apple Vision Pro, but it's, it's that direction and it's, uh, it's, uh, video pass through. And at the other end, they've, they're playing around with, um, you know, the Meta Ray-Bans, right? Which, you know, are going to have an AI built into them and can see the camera view and, and things like that. And, um, and so they've sort of got both ends covered. Uh, and at some point, I'd, I can't get my head around how Apple doesn't address the optical see-through at some point, right? If you get, if you want to get to smart glasses, it can't be video cameras anymore. And that's going to change the field of view significantly. It's going to change a whole bunch of things. And that's why I think Meta is quite smart in that they've taken both ends of the spectrum and they're going to probably work towards the middle, right? That just makes sense. So to me, is this the pro version of the Apple Vision and is there going to be more a Google Glass type version that's like a companion to your iPhone, like your Apple Watches uh, or in the same sort of satellite of devices uh, type of approach that covers that bottom end, right? And I think that would be fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the different form factors. I've said before on the podcast, you know, Mac OS has laptops, desktops, all in one desktops and different form factors. iOS has all these different form factors. iPod Touch back in the day, yep, and uh, iPad and... Yeah, so I'll be curious to see the different form factors that come out of this. So um, as far as interaction method, how do you see the hand tracking and, you know, not needing a traditional VR controller? I'd imagine for most day-to-day applications, that's pro. For gaming, less less pro, less good for if you're wanting it for that kind of dedicated gaming experience, yeah. Yeah, look, I can imagine, and to be honest, you know, I have to. Uh, I'm not a gamer at all, so, yeah. so I don't don't have that view on things. But to me, not having that controller as a as a as a core element of the interaction design uh, really enables a whole bunch of people to use it. Not only because of physical dexterity, but just that, as I said before, of just putting the thing on and you know things to lose and things to run out of battery and. You know, where is it? Oh, I can see, I can see through with video, see through, uh, pass through, but you know, so I think this approach that Apple have taken with a very simple set of gestures, uh, and very, uh, from all reports, accurate eye gaze and, um, for navigation, I think that combination is super powerful. Again, we're introducing a new platform to people, get the basics right, do that really well, make it feel super natural to those people, uh, and then over time, you know, through custom gestures, if you're in a in a, a specific app, or or even I see sort of this opportunity probably more for power users is over time when I have my spatial computing experience that I've that I do a gesture that's sort of like my shortcut, right? Like leveraging Apple shortcuts to to do something because I make this particular gesture it's going to go and get that bit of information or it's going to present these windows or whatever it's going to be right so so i think starting with that uh, basic set is a is the perfect place to start i think it will evolve from there yeah i I always wondered uh, if we'll get a glove one day that has haptics in it for apple vision pro when you're well, there's been patents around rings and, you know, there's uh, some interesting stuff around, you know, devices like watches, etc. So I, I think there cer- certainly seems like they're exploring those types of things. Um, and there's a lot going on in this. You know, if we talk about spatial computing and contextual computing more broadly, you know, we've just recently had the, uh, finally, the announcement of the Humane AI pin, right, which is, you know, ex- as a lot of people from Apple uh, in the past. But looking at this whole different way of using a camera to understand the environment and and creating experiences off that. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting time as computing starts to understand the world around it, either through video cameras like the AVP and sensors on the AVP or, or through to AI enabling um, various aspects of these interactions as well. Yeah, in your mind... It's amazing at playing tricks on you. I remember the first Oculus Quest demo uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. It was like the original Oculus, and there was this demo I played with just a regular controller of this little tiny toy soldier knight, and he jumped on my my shoulder, and I could have sworn I felt something on my shoulder. Like it's you know, even in those early days, like 
your mind can yeah. sometimes if it's done right uh trick you yeah the, uh, i listened to a great podcast ages ago and i can't remember what it was but it, it talked about this concept of what's called umwelt or understanding the environment right like how an organism understands the environment that it sits within and that ultimately everything is an electrical signal going into the brain right so uh, what people and and uh roni abowitz who created magic leap has, has talked about this of you know what's the fine line between tricking the brain uh, through the various senses, you know, especially the eyes, but also uh, sound and and touch and haptics and you know those sorts of things, where it does it 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 overrides our our understanding that this isn't real and it becomes as good as real or you know as close to a simulation of real that we that we are wholly invested and emotionally invested or engaged with this experience. It's a it's a very powerful thing. And coming back to the XR guild, you know, we've got to be super careful with these types of, of things as we create them. Yeah. So for many years now, it was kind of a running joke, Apple showing off augmented reality games and applications at WWDC you know, building Legos while you're holding an iPad in your hand. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how ridiculous is that? But I'm curious, all these ridiculous things, doing with your iPhone or iPad in your hand, how translatable are these things to Vision OS? Is real- Reality Kit, you said it has to be fully immersive. If, if you are fully immersive, can they bring all those experiences to, to Vision OS? Yeah. To me, that should be a relatively smooth path. And... You know, I, that that constraint of needing to hold a device in, in just the right mm-hmm. way and just the right angle and move it around with this very small window of, um, uh, to view these, this type of content changes. And a lot of those assets should be, I would expect, would be able to be reused essentially, um, probably updated, but reused. Uh, and, and again, adapted to the gestures that we now have, but... Again, it's quite a, a simple set of gestures, and because of the nature of in- interacting with the screen on the iPhone and the iPad, it was a pretty simple set of gestures, generally speaking. Anyway, so to me, that seems like a smooth path. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, uh, we see the opportunity to think through things from scratch, right? Um, and for us, that's our particular perspective because we, while we did some of those, like that wasn't our core focus, and the opportunity to start with a new platform and leverage the power of that platform without the constraints or the the modalities the interaction methods etc of other ones i think is is a unique opportunity with this headset uh, and to to really get it right for this for this particular platform yeah so um you share with me that you published a research paper on wearable augmented reality what were some of your findings in this paper? I believe it was like four years in the making of, of researching and anything we haven't covered yet that you'd like to touch on here? Yeah, look, it, it comes back to that, that aspect of human-computer interaction. And I think more so than any other platform that we have designed for, there is a lot that uh, has a deeper background in human-computer interaction because of the combination of modalities of seeing and voice and gestures and all of these types of things. So I've had a, an adjunct position with Sydney University for a number of years. I've taught there for nine years on interaction design. And so we did a collaborative research paper driven by Tram Tran, a PhD student there. And we looked at the last five years of academic research into head-mounted augmented reality. So these types of headsets, HoloLens is, is the standout one. And we've really tried to track how the research is changing. And the academic research into this space is really transitioning from more about the functionality of the hardware and getting it to work, things like tracking and slam and you know all that sort of stuff, to more things around the consumer experience. So the interaction design, uh, the ethics of, of these types of experiences. There's a great paper that looks at um, how skin is rendered differently in AR and, and what the impact is for different populations, right? Uh, and the ethics around that. Um, accessibility is another one, right? That, that is the research area. Those research areas are really growing uh, as they become more, more important as the consumer starts to uptake these types of devices. So I think we'll only see an acceleration around that. But it's a great indicator on, on 
on where their industry's focusing, because a lot of these are driven by companies like Meta and Apple and, and people like that, these research papers. Uh, so it's it can be good insight into where things are, are going. Uh, and it gives you a good background onto all the different types of research. So, you know, people have even been researching that future state where that person's name's above the head. If that happens, how do I feel as the person viewing that? And how do I feel as the person uh, who is has my label above my head, right? So people are trying to investigate these things again ahead of time before we start designing these experiences and just rolling them out um, everywhere. Yeah, I'd imagine an Apple's ecosystem, like if they're in your contact book, maybe it uses like the, the AirTag chip to tell you, oh, you've already verified that it's okay for me to get reminded of who you are since you know, his app, his or her Apple Watch may be on, and tells you, hey, that's that is me. <laughs> We've met before, and, and I think this is the the amazing thing about the Apple ecosystem is if you look around you and all the opportunities that the platform has. Right, because of you know home pods, because of other IoT devices, you know, lights and, and things like that. So one of the, the prototypes that we played with was looking at a light and gesturing and turning the light on and off, right? And people say, Well, why don't you just say turn the light on? And I'm, well, I might be on the phone or something, right? So we have to think through all these different opportunities and and the strength of the Apple platform is how these all tie together in very unique ways. Right? That universal control of me being able to slide my cursor across from my Mac onto my iPad, you know, that's unique to this platform because of the tight integration that these devices have. Things like, you know, the AirTags, things like the HomeKit devices. These will present so many different opportunities for combination. And I think, you know, Apple will obviously enable a bunch of those that they're in a very unique position to do, but that opens up so many opportunities for other um, designers and developers to also to, to think, how can we connect these in interesting ways that will benefit people uh, and make their lives better? Yeah. How impactful do you think Apple's work in AI, I use that uh, the term as general as you can because uh, it means a whole lot of different things to different people. Uh, That's but, right. But 2024, people have said Apple is going to be doing a lot of stuff with their OSs that that leverage that technology. How big could this be for Vision OS and what you can do there? Yeah, I I see uh, AI as an enabling layer, right? Like it's it's a way things can be enhanced in interesting and unique ways. And I think particular to the Apple Vision Pro type experience. Um, there's a guy called Russ, um, and I forget his last name. He's at Shopify and he sort of does a lot of the future state prototyping. And he's got this amazing, uh, product or demonstration of a future state where he, uh, the person is talking to their intelligent agent, which is obviously enabled by AI. Cause I, I think they're, it's really important to differentiate those, so the modality, the, the intelligent agent, the Siri, the whatever. Um, and what what brings that to life. But he's talking to that about a shopping experience. So he wants to buy, you know, he's interested in latte art. So the, the intelligent agent brings up three AR models of different coffee machines and puts them on his bench, right, in his kitchen. So he can see them and turn them around and he sort of talks to the AI and talk, asks them about various qualities of these things and the AI takes one away because, you know, so, and then, you know, I'll ring that up for me. Or I want to find some cups that would suit this as well. And, so this whole opportunity around intelligent agents and conversational interaction for people um, with an awareness of the context of use and the objects within your world, I think is hugely powerful. And that's what Meta is sort of starting to talk about um, for their AI and their glasses on their, on their Ray-Bans. Uh, so I think if you're looking at a Siri version of that for AVP and enhanced in this way, I think that's... Yeah, it, it, it will be very powerful if it's done right. But again, there's so much nuance in getting that stuff done right that you have to really make it feel natural uh, and sensible. And all of us have had experience with intelligent agents that feel neither natural nor um, you know useful, to be honest. Uh, but 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 hopefully that will be enhanced. So um, it just struck me as I was writing up the notes um, that this is episode seven. And so far, three out of the seven episodes are from people in your neck of the woods, Australia <laughs> and New Zealand. I know you guys don't like to clump those two together. I know. We love the New Zealanders. 
we had you had Clarko, you had James. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> it's it was fascinating. Do you have a sense on? Uh, is that just a coincidence, or is there a big big interest in this part of the world uh, for ARVR stuff? It's a great question. Look, it, it's a it's a good community down here. I think there's a lot of though. You know, Clarko's obviously been in the US for a number of years. So, you know, uh, and and James, I don't know uh, directly, but he obviously comes from that iOS background and that game background, creating case for iOS. So, I don't think there's a there's probably an overarching stronger VR community that's been there for a number of years, but it's certainly something that we're looking at now. And we've connected with a bunch of you know people all around Australia who are particularly interested in Apple Vision Pro and augmented reality and spatial computing and trying to network those together. So my expectation is it's largely coincidence. Um, but but uh, yeah, I, I think it's actually a question for you. How have you found these people? Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of it, it is funny where, you know, what parts of the world people kind of prop up uh, and kind of identify. Yeah. yeah. That's great to see. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, one, one of these days, I'll have to get, get, get down over there. Please do. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we're recording this at the very end of December here, and we're hearing more firm and firm things that February is the likely launch time frame for mm-hmm. Apple Vision Pro. So I suspect that we're going to have an Apple event sometime between now and then. What unanswered questions do you hope Apple addresses in that presentation? I think Apple has only shown us you know, a very small aspect of what this device can do. And I think you know, that launch will probably showcase a much broader range of things, particularly in the volumetric and potentially the fully immersive space. Yeah. Uh, the questions that I have are more because I've had the opportunity to to use it a couple of times, are less about the device and its capabilities. The questions I have are more about access, you know, to the rest of the world because it is US first, um, and a really beyond almost beyond version one, right? I think that will be. I expect that we fairly locked by this stage, but it's sort of more the roadmap, which traditionally, obviously, Apple don't talk about. So, so, so. I'm excited about it. I'm very keen to get my hands on one and have it in the office. Um, and and I think, as I said before, it's about how can we enable more AR kit functionality within that shared space. That's, you know, and, and back to those other elements of, are they interested in this, this space, the elements of spatial computing just being around and being part of the environment as opposed to a particular app or a, you know an in-depth experience is how we, we might frame it. So I, th- I think we'll see signs of that, whether they have examples themselves or they're showcasing uh, third parties that they've you know identified and, and will be uh, showing off. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, and they'll be super curious. And price, obviously. The price, for Australia. yes. Uh, starting <laughs> at 3499 what does it end at? Uh, is it... Uh, yeah. Is that and we've got uh, the joy of conversion to the Australian dollar, which is not um, not very good at the moment. Yeah, so. I am so curious if there will be multiple storage SKUs and what that would look like. Like, am I going to spend an extra thousand to get the max storage or whatnot? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything we haven't covered on spatial computing or any other topics before we wrap it up? I don't think so. I think yeah. As I as I said, this is a really new platform and. One of the trickiest things with with all of spatial computing and, and AR, and I think Apple will really, you know, be the be a a leader in this space, is getting people to understand the opportunities, right? Like uh, we went to the augmented augmented reality world expo in Santa Clara in June, the week before that that Apple launched. Um, Yin was at the launch of the Apple Vision Pro. Um, but I was really impressed with the whole industry sort of looking forward to Apple coming in. It wasn't like, oh, it's going to be shit and, you know, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. It was, sorry, I don't know whether it's... Yep. Um, uh, but they were really positive because they knew that would bring a lot of attention. And one of the trickiest things is you need to get someone in a headset for them to truly understand this experience. It's not like you can show them a mobile phone and they, you know, they can just hold it for a second. They have to put this thing on. Their eyes have to be calibrated. It's not a simple onboarding experience necessarily compared to other types of devices. So, you know, Apple's retail store, I think, are going to play a critical part um, in this. Uh, But also us using it as designers and developers 
to understand that nuance in interaction design so that we can really leverage the power of, of the platform. Yeah, it, it is, as you said, you need to wear it to actually understand. Like, yeah. it's it's so hard to describe. Like, when I say, like, when I watch PSVR 2 uh, for just movies, it's hard to describe that it does feel like I'm in an IMAX kind of theater versus just holding an iPad in front of my my face real close. Like it's, it's way different, even though it shouldn't be conceptually, but it is just the way you're, it it works. I mean, and and we heard all the the reporters the other day talking about the special photos and the special videos, right? Like there's a, it's a whole new area, right? I'm so excited panoramas for that. Yeah. I have a one year old daughter and I've been doing a lot of spatial video captures of her doing adorable things. So I'm, I'm very excited to to see what that's like in in a month or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm so glad they brought that to the phone uh, as quickly as they did. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious why they didn't do any photo capture. It's just video for spatial. It's a, it's a really interesting question. I, I've been, because one of the things with video is when you move with a video, with, a, with an iPhone, if you're recording the mm-hmm. spatial video, when you're wearing the headset, you're obviously not moving. So I'm kind of interested in that that disconnect between the video is moving, but I'm not moving. Yeah. Whereas with a photo, obviously, I thought it would have been the simpler place to start, not only technically, um, but also from, ah, well, it's just a one shot and it's from that position. That's, right. That's, and you can maybe you know, turn simpler. your head around it to kind of look at different perspectives that way. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think what'll be, it'll be, uh, I think I saw something from Apple's research teams on Gaussian splatting the other day, but, you know, that whole thing of, how can I get a full scan almost, you know, whether it's, a, you know, the leveraging room plan or something that they've got from an API perspective, but more detail than that to to model the whole environment, um, you know, to retain a memory in that sense. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity in that moving forward. Yeah, so it'll be yeah very interesting. And I know people have been dissing on the spatial video capture as they translate it to like MetaQuest headsets, but I have to feel yes. the way Apple's going to implement it will take advantage of that 1080p to make it really shine because the experience of experiences we've been hearing from the press are drastically different from those that have just like put it through a translator for for MetaQuest, you know. Yeah, look, I, I think that sort of experimentation is fun and great that people do it, uh, um, but it's not going to be like the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, this has been a really fun chat. I've I've enjoyed uh, learning Absolutely. more about what you do and and this whole space and um where can people find you online and the work your your company does so we for for 13 years i think we were called mobile experience um but now we call contextual so it's c-o-n-t-x-t-u dot a-l is our uh url uh, and then there's you can scroll down in you can hit the spatial computing section and you'll go and see all the video prototypes that we've been working on and playing with uh, I'm on Mastodon as Oliver W. Uh, I'm not on Twitter anymore as Oliver W, but you can probably connect there and, and LinkedIn, of course. Excellent. But thanks so much for having me on, Tim. It's, it's been great. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. And yeah, do check out those prototypes. We did not have time to <laughs> touch on them, but there are a really a lot of really cool ones and some stuff like uh, the walking directions that I know Apple has disallowed. Yep. Uh, navigation for safety reasons at the time but maybe in the future yeah, they'll yeah. figure that out yeah exactly yeah. exactly well thank you so much thanks tim well that's my interview with oliver my thanks to oliver for his time recording and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in my thanks again to glisten for sponsoring this episode download glisten for ipad iphone and apple watch now from the app store look out for glisten on the apple vision pros app store when that launches very soon here as a reminder, you can get early access to both Vision Pros and iPad Pros by supporting the podcast at visionpros.fm slash Patreon or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.